Welcome to the Red Dirt Agronomy Podcast. My name is Dave Deacon, and thank you for joining us for episode 111. Following a couple of weeks of wildfires in western Oklahoma, we're actually talking about the importance of fire in an ecosystem with Oklahoma State University's John Weir. Before we dive in, take a second and hit the subscribe button on your streaming service, if you would, so you'll always know when the latest Red Dirt Agronomy podcast drops. If you hear something in this episode that you'd like to learn more about, you will be able to find all of those resources on our website, reddirtagronomy.com. Let's kick things off with a quick trip around the table since our graphic generator doesn't seem to be working for this podcast. To my left is Oklahoma State University's Extension Precision Nutrient Management Specialist. I saw that one early. I saw that one coming out the gate. (laughs) Too many weird jokes, though. I know when he's starting off on that tangent. Dr. Brian Ernell. And to his left is Oklahoma State University Soil and Water Conservation Management Specialist. I mean, my memory as a kid, I remember there was a big fire somewhere, and it was heading somewhere. And Dad, Dad, he gets me and my brother, and we get these gunny sackets and a bucket of water, and we were ready to put this fire out. And and they ended up putting it out with discs and tractors. They uh, plowed a, a clearing to stop it. But that was my recollection of fire in that part of the world. Dr. Jason Warren. And finally, across from Jason is Oklahoma State University Extension Cropping System Specialist. Just just because I lived in Louisiana for a couple of years doesn't mean I had any pigs in the house. According to Jason, I just had like just, you know, terrariums full of bugs that I brought up here. Dr. Josh Lofton. Wanted to say a quick thank you to everyone who sent questions in for the group. And if you have a question for the group, just jump over to reddirtagronomy.com and leave it there. Or send an email directly to podcast at reddirtagronomy.com and we will discuss your question on the next episode. Now, just a little background. This episode was recorded on July 18th, 2022. Seems like a lot has happened in the week and a half since we did. So to set the scene for you. Parts of western Oklahoma were dealing with wildfire and that really nice rainfall that most of the state got last weekend. Well, it really wasn't even in the forecast yet. So with all that said, I need to say, you are listening to the Red Dirt Agronomy Podcast. Uh, John Weir, you've, you're you known for, for, for burning things, uh, sometimes on purpose, and... and <laughs> And you also put him out too. That's, that's great. Have you ever noticed that not only is he the fire guy, but he's also a volunteer fireman? Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. It's, it always goes together, right? Yeah, yeah. But 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 you've kind kind of give us a, a a rundown of of what you do for OSU. So I'm the, uh, I guess, extension prescribed fire specialist mm-hmm. and a fire ecologist. So I do a lot of uh, extension work doing trainings for landowners and agency folks and probably the biggest thing i do and favorite thing i do is work with prescribed burn associations and work with them help start them help getting landowners uh the capacity and stuff to get fire on the ground and work with that um, work with the in oklahoma and all throughout the great plains actually all over the u.s currently now there's over 100 prescribed burn associations in the u.s and so they all started from what we'd kind of started doing around here so we're kind of tickled with that well and 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 a lot of folks who who are doing these prescribed burns you know they always think spring they spring they they, they think april and you know may 
but really this is an okay time of year. Yeah, this has been a great time. You know, again, we've got research out there. We've been doing it trying to uh, get landowners to think about uh, burning at different seasons of the year. Because if you talk to people, you know, the funny thing is, is getting people to burn Number one, just get them started. Right. And if you talk to people like that, you know, liability is always the biggest issue. Everybody's always worried about liability. And so I do a lot of work with liability, looking at liability and and how it's, you know, to me a lot of times it's an excuse. And also it's it's not really out there. It's not as – burning is not as risky as people think it is because a lot of times it's an unknown. And, right. You know, and we're always scared of the unknown. Right. Um, and then once you get people burning, then – you start asking them, well, you know, did you get everything burned you wanted to this year? No. And most of them didn't. And you ask them, the, the main question is, and it's weather. Mm-hmm. You know, the great thing that we deal with, whether we're a farmer or a rancher or whatever, is weather every day. Uh, we have no control over it. And so, you know, a lot of times we have this mindset that we've got a burn season. Right. You know, and here in Oklahoma, you know, it just kind of depends. A lot of times you can go southeast and south. They'll start burning in January. January all the way up until April, uh, usually, kind of that time frame. And so that spring, late winter, spring burn season, and so a lot of times people don't get everything burned. And so you start looking at other options within that because if you don't get everything burned, what it does is it messes with your management plans because you may have deferred grazing to accumulate fuel for the year before. Now what are you going to do for another year on that same place? Or, you know, you got a lot of different things that's going on so what about let's burn in different seasons of the year and so again showing that growing season burns are burning when things are actively growing and green is a viable and a good time of year to do that and um, we started doing a lot more work with that and doing a lot of workshops and demonstration stuff and actually now from the records i've been keeping with people kind of recording their burns and doing things like that that we've got it's about 20, 25% of all the burning now is in the growing season. Wow. So we've actually changed a lot of ideology. A lot of times people like, you know, once they do it, because it is it is a whole lot safer. Mm-hmm. You know, now we're, we're going into a time right now, you know, currently that it's, it is dry. We don't have as much green. And so the fire behavior is going to start trending more towards a dormant season type fire because of that. Uh, Mm -hmm. You know, under typical average, whatever average Oklahoma weather is, uh, you know, it's usually green and things are, the the fire is really calm, really slow. Uh, You know, the biggest thing is it is hot Mm because it is summertime. Uh, That's the, that's the biggest thing. So it's uh, doing that. So that's one thing. been doing a lot of work with that and glad to see a lot of, people changing their idea you know what they do and and how they do it so john you've got those rotational studies which i know i'm supposed to sample but it's not going to be this (laughs) month (laughs) (laughs) oh yeah by the way we need to sample those we need to sample those when you look at those and some of these studies you guys have done at oak state on the rotation do you can you look out there now and see any influence that the burn has on how that land is managing this these flash droughts that we're having Right now, or is it all the same? Is it all bad, or is there? If it weren't this bad, could you say burn has an impact on that? You know, I think what you're, what you're talking about is our season of burn mm-hmm. study. Looking at so we've got some plots that we burn every two years, but at different seasons of the year, we got it divided up into seven mm-hmm. different 
treatments. So every two months, you know, and we, we've had those plots going since 2004. So they went right through the middle of mm-hmm. the drought of 12 and 13 on that. And, um, and, you know, and they've come out of that, you know, and I can't really see, so you definitely saw lack of fuel mm-hmm. during that time period when it was really dry. So we were tr- trying to get things burned. Uh, it, it's just the lack of accumulation, but then after it did it, you know, everything recovered very well and, and did that. So I can't, you know, you know, that's our native plant community. Mm-hmm. You know, it's adapted to that. You know, these droughts are, yeah. are, uh, a big part of it, you know, and you, you talk to some of the climate people that look at historical stuff, buddies of mine up at University of Missouri at the tree ring lab up there, they do a lot of drought work looking, you know, and they talk about, you know, this part of the world, the Civil War drought. So there mm-hmm. was a, a drought that lasted the whole period of 1860s. Wow. And they called it, they call it the Civil War. And it, it shows up dramatically on tree rings mm-hmm. that you can see that all throughout the Southwest. And I mean, it's a 10 year drought, just huge, you know, and, and we haven't really had, you know, those long term deal now what you do what i've seen roaming around on those longer term droughts you know even like 12 and 13 was there was a bunch of trees a lot of cedars in some areas which you know nobody complained about uh you know in certain areas you saw that saw a little bit of stress on some other ones you know i think that longer term drought is really truly what historically kept a lot of the trees off the prairie off the plains um on that fire Fire knocks a lot of them back. Fire does handle some seedlings and things like that. I'm t- talking about woodies. Yeah. I'm not talking about cedar. Uh, on that, you know, and I think there was more small mammals, you know, jackrabbits, a lot mm-hmm. of prairie dogs. You know, they kept all that stuff, at a lot of that stuff at bay. We don't think about that. But the droughts and the longer-term droughts, they really hammer on the woody plants. And then you couple that with some fire, mm-hmm. and I think you got the really good double whammy on that. Uh on that you know and getting into those dry periods you know we can have some pretty good fires that are yeah that can help reclaim and do some things you know we just got to prep for them so that we can help you know we can contain and control them and stuff before things get you know get really bad and dry john going back to these summer droughts or these summer fires and and them being a lot hotter is there some benefit to that from a management of of problematic species or anything like that yeah we've we've done some work too looking at you know because again a lot of times those growing season fires are really slow moving because that fire you know what carries the fire is the old growth from the previous year and then it's got to boil all the water out of the current growth, and then it'll try to consume whatever that current year's growth that it can. You know, the drier it is, the more it consumes up. The wetter, the more actively that green stuff's growing, the more of it that it gets left out. It turns brown, you know, you come back two days later and it's all brown, and it had got, got hit by the fire, but it re- comes back real quick. <clears throat> but, again, that slow-moving fire, low-intensity uh, flame lengths are really short, and so people go, well, does it really kill cedar trees? You know, that's mm-hmm. what the biggest majority of people are out there trying to control cedars with fire. And you look at it, and they go, you know, is, is that fire doing it? So that's what we did. We we did a study. We had an area with a lot of cedars in, in this one area scattered around, and so we did a, you know, divided it up, had some plots, and did a dormant season 
and we went in you know measured all the trees before we burned did leaf moisture on them and then burned them then come back in later and, and measured scorch height and measured mortality <coughs> and and things like that and our growing season burns by were by far more had more impact and killed more cedars than that and what that what the biggest deal of it is it's really about ambient air temperature mm -hmm. and so you know you kind of think if you think about it so the the thermal death temperature of most living plants is about 150 degrees hmm. so you raise you get the temperature up over 150 and it depends on moisture mm -hmm. content but you around 150 degrees you'll kill most living plants and and do that so if you think about it in the spring late winter spring when we're burning if it's 50 degrees outside when you're burning plus it's been cold at night mm -hmm. so everything's got a cold core temperature that's cooler but you've got to raise the temperature of that 100 degrees and if you do that you know 100 degrees and then we're going to knock it back well what if it's in the summer and we're burning and it's 100 degrees outside mm -hmm. man all we got to do is raise it 50 degrees and we got it we're, we're whacking on it you know and doing that and that's what we've seen we've seen you know actually so just from the average if i remember right from our plot study you know we we measured the plots were 30 meters by 30 meter plots and we lit a head fire which a fire that moves with the wind and so the winds were out of the southwest so we lit the south side and the west side of the plot and just let it go mm -hmm. and we had everything burnt to the north of where all the plots were at and so when we measured the amount of time that it took and so in the dormant season it took like 90 seconds for the fire to go from the southwest corner of that plot to the northeast corner of that plot and the average flame height was like four foot and the flame depth and so that's the that's the active burning fire front mm -hmm. so you know how much stuff it's burning was about three foot so and then in the growing season that same plot it took uh like seven minutes for it to go from the southwest corner to the northeast corner wow the flame height was 18 inches and the flame front was 16 in six inches so always you know example is in the dormant season you have a box you have a, a imagine a wall of fire that's three foot wide and four foot tall and moving pretty fast mm -hmm. In the growing season, you had something that was six inches wide by 18 inches tall and moving really slow. And so a lot of times you're going, well, how is that different? Well, part of it is, again, ambient air temperature stuff's already hot out there because it's 100 degrees when we're burning in the summer and 50 degrees when we're burning in the spring. But also, you think about that little box of fire, and it's moving slow, and so it's residual heat residual burn time and so it just lasts long it may not be near as hot you know it's kind of like if the cannibals you know invited you for dinner to come eat and they were and you were you were dinner and you had the option to uh they said uh, we can cook you at uh, 350 for 30 minutes or 700 for 15 you know which one <laughs> which one you want to do you know you're still going to be done <laughs> so that's the you know that's kind of the the way you look at it is it's it, even though that slow you can't even sometimes you can't even see the flames because they're down in the grass and it just it's like God, nothing's going on but then you come back three days later and it's like everything's browned out and it's like golly it did a really I feel good like job that question was like one of them 
psychological test. Would you rather be cooked for you know seven hundred for <laughs> yes. fifteen minutes or three hundred for? I'm asking you just for now a entered the twilight zone. <laughs> 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 we, we gonna do ink blots here, next yeah. or, <laughs> well, well, I mean, so you so about you, you haven't answered the question though. Which one would you rather? I, I'd rather not think about that. <laughs> okay. To be quite honest. <laughs> okay. <laughs> but, but so you talk about cedar as we get further west. Uh, you know, we get other species, you know, like old world blue stem and various things like that. How can fire help with, with something like that? Man, that, that's, a, that's a that's a question that's we keep looking at, and it's it's just it's all over the mm. place. We've seen we've seen some stuff. We've got some work going on right now. Dwayne Elmore has got some stuff out at the. Uh, Clemmy Research Station out south of Clinton over by Bessie uh, where we're looking at some old world blue stem and we come in and did some growing season burns on that and we saw some really good control for the first couple of, it's it's only about two years now mm-hmm. and so it's the first couple of years it was not a, hardly any seedlings and stuff doing that there's been some other studies in Texas and stuff that's kind of found a little bit of similar stuff, and then you have other studies that show no impact. And again, I've looked at, you know, just kind of anecdotal stuff that I've been burning around it for years and years, and, and it's still there. And so it's it's a tough one. Uh, there's so what's what's I guess the ecological difference between like a cedar or something like that, and and something like old world blue stem to where I I I don't think the at least the science is very argumentative on how good fire is for cedar, but yeah. but it, it but is on the blue. Well, cedar, as we talk about, and we're going to, I guess, be specific for what we're talking about is eastern red cedar, mm-hmm. and we can also talk about ash or blueberry or mountain cedar or juniper, which grows like in the Arbuckle Mountains and throughout uh, limestone soils throughout Texas. Um, those are non-sprouters. So, again, you know, you top-kill those, you know, or cut them off with a chainsaw below the lower limb. They're dead. Mm. You know, not like an oak tree where, you you know, you take a chainsaw and cut an oak tree down, it's going gonna, it's gonna to sprout. That's And most other woody plants and trees are sprouters, and they'll come back. Fortunately, eastern red cedar's not one. So it's, it's a totally different animal than, like, old world blue stem which again is a grass and it is a it's a perennial and it is a sprouter just like most all of our other grasses that are perennial grasses and stuff and adapted to fire and heavy grazing because again where it come from and back in the middle east and turkey and that, those areas where they where it come from and originated uh, not that there was probably a lot of fire because the grazing was so heavy that it probably didn't carry a fire but it was it was adapted to, mm-hmm. been adapted to some of that. And so, again, the main thing that we have seen with fire is the ability, if you if you use fire like you should, you know, again, burn every two, three, four years, do good periodic fires through there and maintain that, your native pastures, rangelands will stay pretty much native pastures and rangelands because they're adapted to fire and they're adapted to that. And you won't see a lot of that influx of invasive species like old world blue stem coming through, coming in there. Uh, it'll keep it, you know, kind of keep it at bay well, I, for the I, best part. I know there's a lot of folks out kind of right at that edge of the panhandle that 
unfortunately they planted a lot of it you yeah. know for years that now yeah. are, are either a they're in pasture land they're trying to get something or, or they've gone to a, a non-native forage or yeah. or back to cropland you're and right. they're Seemingly, like nothing gets that old world blue stem out of out of fields no, once and, it and gets you go established. To, you go to Texas, and it's man, it is all or you know they planted a lot of it down there. Uh, you know, a lot of it I've seen where a lot, a lot of it, most of it spreads, and and where it does is anywhere you disturb it, mm-hmm. and it likes disturbance. The other thing it does like is mowing. Whenever you mow other grasses and stuff down, it gives it ability to the seed to come in and and to germinate and. And then it, it's a very vigorous competitor. There is a little bit of a lelopathy and some shading and stuff that mm-hmm. goes in with it. It, it. It's a it's a highly competitive plant once it gets going. Yeah, that is a that's always the issue. And yeah, and unfortunately, we've got it. You know, and we're not ever going to get rid of it. It's <laughs> you know, it's it's here to stay. But a lot of it, we can keep it at bay. You know, a lot of times keeping disturbances down and keeping the natural disturbances such as fire in that system will help you know, at least maintain or keep it at bay in those areas where it's not already established. That's always so. Well, if y'all aren't going to come in, I'm going to keep picking. No, I've, I've, <laughs> you go, I just keep on, Josh. Yeah. <laughs> I, I had kind of looking back as you were talking about the fire associations, what's, what's the biggest, what's the best thing that's happened in the last 20 years? I mean, if you look back to when you first started doing this a little over 20 years ago, right, what what's the biggest change in the mentality? Why why do you now have more burn associations? You know, what was it? Is there one thing, or was it just momentum? Uh, I think both, but probably the biggest thing that I think I've seen is again, cedar is the number one reason. It's mm-hmm. that's what joins us joins us all together out out there in the in the rangelands and stuff. Is you know everybody's got that issue, but I think. Uh, Cedar has probably been that, and a lot of it is is where landowners are kind of at their mm-hmm. end of their rope, and we've got to figure out what we got to do. And, and you look at it, and mechanical cost way too much, or you know, it's mm-hmm. expensive. It's not way too much. It's just expensive to do. Part of it is because we've let the land go too long, mm-hmm. and then also, if you do mechanical and you don't follow up with fire you just wasted your money mm-hmm. because within six to 10 years, it's going to be right back to the same cover percentage and stuff of cedar that when you cut it off. And so you've got to do something. And so that's probably been the biggest post cedar's probably been the biggest poster child of, of getting things going and bringing people together and saying, yeah, we've got to do something with this. So have you seen as, as we, see some societal shifts lately we have the regenerative ag movement we have a lot of the smallholder we have the grass-fed beef these smaller are you seeing more interest from smaller shareholders about about fire if i'm if i'm doing a a grass-fed beef place i would think if i've got limited acres that maybe i'm thinking about fire i don't know uh you know not a lot with small Mm landholding producers because a lot of times they don't have a lot to burn because they're not utilizing most everything that they've got with whatever their goats or mm-hmm. their beef or whatever they've got on small acreages. What we're really seeing is a really big interest from the recreational landowners because, again, which is huge throughout the state. We're, mm-hmm. we're you know, land holding ownership is changing drastically, and it's not only in Oklahoma. It's it's everywhere. 
you know, looking at. And so, but those people that are managing for wildlife, for aesthetics, mm-hmm. you know, even that, they're interested in fire and they understand that fire's important and fire's needed. And so you're getting a lot of that. And that's, that's kind of been a really interesting deal. If you look back 20 years ago, 60% of the people that were burning were burning for livestock production. Mm-hmm wildlife was secondary you know some of them you know had interest in wildlife and they would say Mm -hmm. yeah wildlife we're burning some for wildlife now asking them or whenever they list you know why are they burning and stuff livestock and wildlife are neck and neck you know they just go back and forth every year on which one's number one you know it's so that that's become a huge thing and you look at a lot of the membership like some of the local burn Mm -hmm. associations and stuff you're getting a lot more uh, you know, you can call them smaller landowners. Yeah. They own a quarter, um, you know, half section, whatever. And it's it was purchased for recreational yeah. reasons and things like that. And they're burning. Does the management change at all on fire if you switch from a livestock to a wildlife, or is it is it is it hand in hand identical? Because the goal is to, you know, burn a lot of, a lot of times on the with the wildlife folks recreational areas they typically have a little sometimes have a little more fuel mm-hmm. and so sometimes the fires are a little more effective a little more on that but again you're good good livestock managers they know proper stocking rates mm-hmm. and and doing that and so they have good fires and things with that too but a lot of times sometimes too you may have people that have just acquired new properties and stuff and so they're trying to get it to reclaim it Dave, you're one yeah, of those, I am. Uh, one of those folks like that too. And so, you know, in in those years, it's it, it's been abused or it's been let go, and so you're you lack fuel, and so you got to do some stuff, and you're trying to get that fire. And so sometimes your fire is not as effective. Uh, your fire is a little more risky because you got a lot more cedars than everybody else does, and, you know, and a lot of things with that. So it makes it makes it a little more difficult, a little more challenging and doing that but once you get it past that mm-hmm. then life becomes simpler and and easier with a lot of that so when when you're talking about like the recreational and wildlife is is it mainly just like prairie birds or uh, you know where where all does that Mo- a lot of it's uh is is hunting you know they're deer turkey quail uh mainly the first two deer and turkey and you know and, and that's the, that's the bad thing is too because sometimes we have You've got people that are purchasing land, and they think cedars are good for deer. You know, you gotta have you gotta have trees for deer, and cedars are one of them. And it's like, no, you know, they're they're not. You know, same thing with turkeys. You know, again, cedars can can run turkeys plumb out of the country, especially if they start growing up mm-hmm. underneath the roost trees and things like that. And then if you then the wildfire aspect of it, you get a wildfire coming through, you can totally damage a roost area. It'll be gone. Uh, with with fire with all that mm-hmm. cedars growing up underneath that and so that's a that's always a, a big thing so most of them are are the are are looking at the recreation part of it for hunting and stuff but there there is some again visit with quite a few people that yeah they're wanting they just the beauty of it and the aesthetics uh, of, of what's going on and uh, you know some people you know have that idea of what they want and others you know they're not sure they they like they think the way it is 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 good and that's you know kind of difficult mm-hmm. to 
one one question I, I I would have is the 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 change kind of what Brian was talking about the change of the mindset of the folks or say somebody has handed uh, property down through the family grandpa never burned right. and and he he didn't believe in it and are 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 you seeing the next generation be more open to those ideas yeah uh, and definitely seeing that, you know, what's, what's interesting is you go all over and I've, you know, and I've traveled all over the, the U S too. And it's funny, you'll get talked to start talking to groups of ranchers and everywhere you go, no matter what, they'll all come up, they'll come up to you. They don't come, they don't say it in the group, right? They'll come up to you, you know, individually and they go, yeah, my grandpa used to talk, but he burned all the time. Yeah. But yeah. then, but they, you know, they got away from it, yeah. you know, because of regulations or, Something, you know, some kind of something, you know, or my uncle used to burn, great grandpa and doing all that. And they all, they all talked about it, but then they don't do it no more. And so, yeah, you're trying to get, change a mindset of a generation. Sometimes that newer generation, they're still warring with the older generation because that older generation has, has that fear of fire and that fire's bad. And, you know, we don't want it. And so sometimes you got that conflict and you got to overcome that within that but then also you've seen i've seen a lot of older folks that they weren't real sure about it but then after their first second fire they're like man we're doing that one of the funniest things i was working with a group of folks in nebraska and uh, this older rancher he he was laughing he goes i hate cedars he said but you know what he said growing up he said i used to haul water on a horse to cedar seedlings that we had planted to make sure they grew. Oh. And he said, now I'm burning them. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> the same ones I used to carry haul water with to on a horse oh, yeah. to to make sure they survived. Well, yeah. and, and, and it, I one of my now neighbors, they, they, she was an older lady. She never burned because back in the 40s, one of the fires got away. Mm-hmm. And so she was deathly afraid of fires which is kind of the opposite of what she should be thinking right i mean you know to prevent the big fire you got to have the little fires yeah and and that's that's something we're kind of seeing across oklahoma right now all the all the uh recent wildfires yeah. out in western oklahoma they 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 may or may not have been uh easier easier managed had there been the, the the controlled burns and the yeah. and the prescribed burns oh they definitely would have you know and that's that's a big issue and you, and you look more and more about people one of the reasons they're burning and educating that is wildfire control along with their other goals and management you know of, of what their what their fire is and that's a, that's a big part of it to to look at that and and because again if you think about it, a fire with a bunch of cedars in it compared to a fire just on straight grass, you know, which one would you rather be in, be right. around yep, right. and doing that? You know, and also going back to just what you said, people's perception of fire, it's, you know, it's, it's always what the news, the media, again, they're out there, you know, they don't never come to anybody's prescribed fire. Right. You know, and that, that's the thing that <laughs> that's you, true. you try to get out there is you know in the last from from the data pulled up in the last 12 years 10 12 years in oklahoma the average 
we're averaging burning on wildfires between 300 and 500,000 acres a year in Oklahoma on wildfires, which is which has gone up. Yeah. Uh, that's higher than probably the 20-year the, the average of it. But people don't realize, and you tell them, do you realize that we burn between a million and a half and two million acres intentionally in this state every year? Landowners successfully burn that. And do you hear about that at all in the news? But, man, you can have a 50-acre wildfire, and that, that's all that's on the news, and you got six helicopters and, and storm chasers roaming around it and, you know, and, and doing all that. And it's all, look at, the, you know, look at those cedars going up. And they think every fire is going to behave like a wildfire. We don't mm-hmm. go set, prescribe, you know. I can prescribe a wildfire, <laughs> and, you know, and, uh, yeah. but I, and I can control yeah. it, too. Yeah. There's yeah. areas that yeah. I can control it. Yeah. I can, there's, things, there's things that you can do to make that safe and to, and to do that but you can't uh you know it gets sensationalized and so everybody mm-hmm. thinks that all fires behave like that and so that puts this automatic fear in a lot of landowners that well if i burn it's it's just going to burn everything it's just like i don't know how many people you'll have a creek bottom yeah. down through there and they go well it's going to hit that creek and then it's going to go up in the in the canopy and just be a, a big old forest fire and i'm like no it's going to hit the creek and go out you know <laughs> that will not burn you know it's not going to burn water rarely yeah. burns yeah. Yeah. you know and, and and that vegetation is not yeah. flammable unless mm-hmm. it's extremely dry you know we're under extreme drought mm-hmm. and also then it plus you couple that with having a boatload of cedars growing up underneath it ladder fuel to get it yeah. to go up into that canopy that's where you're going to have problems and doing that so yeah we use fire to remove all that get it back like that and then the fire number one you can have areas where it'll control fires or number two you've removed all the volatile fuels the cedars and things that cause embers that'll spot you know quarter mile half mile during bad drought conditions and stuff and and can trap people and you know continue to carry that fire and start more and more fires and make it larger and bigger you don't have those embers and stuff so you're dealing with a fire that's a little more safe in effect not only for everybody affected but the firefighters as well everybody on the ground and stuff doing that so yeah it's a trying to get people to understand that you know, fighting fire with fire is a that is a viable well, option, and what we should do. And I, I think there's a, I, I saw in the news, so I think there's a missing gap with the people understanding. And of course, this comes out of California because that's where all the good stuff is. Um, a report out of California that the the people are so confused and concerned because while the the fires are coming back where they had fires before. They they couldn't believe that they thought that the prescribed fire or the wildfire would mean that they'd never have a fire again. And, you know, it's like what you're going. It's like the next fire is easier controlled. Easier you're controlled. able to control it. Yep. But fire doesn't mean it won't come back. In fact, a good fire will make more fuel for the next fire. That's exactly right. You know, and that's, you know, even, especially in a, in a rangeland prairie setting, you remove a, a huge amount of cedar that has been you know, possibly reduce forage production by over half mm-hmm. of that given area. Now it's back to 100% fine fuel, which is way more flammable, mm-hmm. but it's not creating those big tall flames. We're not crowning trees out and spotting things like that. Yeah, it can become more flammable, but it's easier to deal with under 
kind of condition because it don't have all those volatile fuels and things that are out there. And yeah, yeah, you don't it 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 it's all about fire return interval. Mm-hmm. And so fire return intervals, you look at historic, you know, again, Native Americans were the biggest, you know, they were the fire setters and and that because they're humans. Uh, you know, we humans have and they do to this day we will manage the land we live and work on mm-hmm. make it easier again they burned travel corridors so it made it simpler and you know do, do you want to go walk through a cedar forest or would you rather go walk through a nice grassland especially one that you could see yeah. so the neighboring tribes didn't jump mm-hmm. you and take everything you had or possibly kill you uh, you know, that kind of stuff. So we, we burnt travel corridors. You know, again, we burned for the reasons a lot of times we think. We drive, we drove game with fire. You, you attract game with fire. Um, you know, it was, we were talking grasshoppers. That's one of the things that uh, Native Americans used to burn through areas that had a lot of grasshoppers. Then you go in and collect them after the fire, and they're already cooked. And, man, mm-hmm. you got to microwave dinner right there, you know. So. <laughs> Toasty snacks. <laughs> little, little snacks, you know. And, again, also for their the certain plants and stuff, they knew the times of year to burn and things like that. And so that was a big, big part of it. Uh, so fire has always been an important role in, in humans in our existence and stuff, again, but we've taken it out in the last couple of centuries throughout, you know, the U- U.S. where it was really used, you know, before European man settled over. Jason, you look like you've been pondering the the, the, the great question, and, and I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> You're just taking it all in. Yeah, I'm just soaking it up. Okay. Yeah. Now, 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 Jason, you grew up in Northwest Oklahoma. Yeah. Did what? What was there much prescribed burning? Much uh, using? Not using where? Fire? Not. Wh- I mean, I'm sure there's some guys do it. Dad never did. He still didn't do it. He had a fire a couple of years ago that ripped through a quarter that was covered in trees, and it cleaned it up pretty good. But he's still not gonna. I mean, <laughs> but he's an you know he's getting pretty long in the tooth to be yeah. running around putting out fires. But uh, I mean, my memory as a kid, I remember there was a big fire somewhere, and it was heading somewhere, and Dad, <laughs> Dad he gets me and my brother. And we get these gunny sackets and a, and a bucket yeah. of water, yeah. and we were ready to put this fire yeah. out. And the and they ended up putting it out with discs and tractors. They uh, plowed a uh, clearing to stop it. But that was my recollection of fire in that part of the world. But it was a dunal sands and covered yeah. with sagebrush and grass. And yeah. They just spend money spraying it. Yeah. <laughs> and then, yeah, <coughs> let the cedars go. Yeah. But it, it's amazing. I mean, to me, you know, and having grown up here, and I, you know, what I'm 46. I don't know how old I am, <laughs> but I mean, it's kind of amazing that the invasive species mm-hmm. that we have, and like in my lifetime, how noticeably more catastrophic they are with respect to the value of our land for the purposes we want, whether it's wildlife. Or cattle or goats or whatever. But it is amazing. From Johnson grass to old world blue stem to, I mean, it's amazing. And at least you got one tool for cedars, which is fire. You yep. can get rid of them. Yeah. Or spend a fortune cutting yeah. them down. <laughs> yeah, because <laughs> it is a fortune. You know, but you, you, speaking of that, you know, you look at, 
you know, a lot of times people say, well, I'm not going to burn, I mow, or I'm not going to burn, I use chemical, or I'm not going to yeah. burn, I, you know, I use mechanical. But but you look at it, and that's the deal about fire. There's nothing out there that we can do mechanically, chemically uh, on that that will mimic what fire does to the land. You know, again, we see fire will increase root growth. Fire can increase above-ground biomass and increase yeah. growth. Uh, you know, it puts nutrients back. It cycles nutrients from the whole system back into the soils. Uh, you know, there's all kinds of things. You know, again, there's certain bird species that require areas. They they want areas that they nest that's been burned in less than 24 months. You know, and there's also bird species that require places that haven't been burned in three or four years to nest in and things. Mm-hmm. So, you know, there's always there's positives and negatives to everything. But looking at that, you know, and there's even in the southeast, there's some uh, tree diseases that are taken away from the, the, just the smoke from a oh, fire. Yeah. Hmm. We'll treat that, you know, and do that. So, you know, there's nothing that mimics what fire does. You know, it's pretty amazing all the different benefits that you can show uh, on that. And, you know, you don't get that from chemical or mechanical at all. Are you involved, like the stuff, I I do a lot of work out at Lake Carl Blackwell at the recreational area. Mm -hmm. Every couple years, mainly I just do like soil judging contests and stuff. But it does give me a reason to go out there and look around. Yeah. And what was it, seven years ago, they cut down all the cedars mm-hmm. on 30,000 acres of land out west of town? Yeah, and that was... And, uh, and that was part that, of it. That was the Board of Regents uh, yeah. did that. Again, looking at, you know, part of it was, you know, we're the university. Uh, we're making all these recommendations to people, and our land looks as bad as a lot of everybody else's, if yeah. not worse. And yeah. so... They put that money forward to cut all the cedars, and we see that as you're coming in west from on 51 Highway from Stillwater. They're around, like you said, like Carl Blackwell area. And so that was a big part of it through the Board of Regents. Hired people to come in and cut the cedars and then also realized that, hey, if, if we cut all this, we got to burn it. Yeah. And so they had contracted out with a couple of different groups to, to do burning and stuff on a lot of those lands and stuff. We... You know, they'd contact me. I just, I don't have time to burn yeah, all you know, that, or, you yeah. know, with everything else we've got going on. But, um, well, do you ever go, like, in the recre- in the recreational area? Because it's kind of weird to me, and I'm just asking because I don't know. Because that, that, <clears throat> that property is kind of interesting the way it's managed um, for a variety of reasons. But since then, they've really opened it up to, like, equestrian trails and stuff mm-hmm. like that. Is it kind of, is that a result of the burn? Because it is a much more aesthetically pleasing area as you the, walk the, around the, uh, in there. The equestrian trails were started before the oh, fire right? and stuff were doing. Uh, and so I've heard some mixed results from oh, people yeah. on the equestrian. Heard some people complaining about getting black on them and their horses from riding through the burnt trees and stuff. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I've heard also heard some of them complaining about they like the cedars for screening, which that's interesting. You know, a lot of people like cedars because of the screening cover, you know, keeping your view from the road or things like that. And so 
they were doing that but then you also get people going yeah we like the the aesthetic the please now it's open and we can, can see more see. you know and they should be should there's less there's going to be less ticks and stuff on years that we burn more uh, that's a big damn deal because there's a lot of ticks out there <laughs> yeah there it that. grows some really nice ones out there <laughs> yeah and, uh, i talked to a guy the other day he said he's not he he rides mules he's not taking his mules back out to the lake because they <laughs> came back just <laughs> covered in ticks. ticks yeah oh yeah. man yeah uh on that so you know everybody it's you know a lot of times that's the thing with fire especially around the public is the aesthetic part of it they don't like how it looks immediately following the fire yeah but then they come back you know six months later or a year later and it looks totally different and they're like wow this is so cool looking and uh, yeah because instead of just brushing yeah trees and junk it's grass yeah and and they you know and they think it's it's going to kill all the trees out you know there's gonna be no trees and stuff and in some areas yeah you got prairies that's what there's no trees but in the our cross timbers our post oak blackjacks yeah it's going to open that stuff up under get that understory and where you can walk through it yeah where you can actually walk through it then also too you know the next time there is a fire a wildfire it's not going to crown out or you're not going to kill top kill all those bigger oaks and all that stuff and everything it's just going to stay on the surface and burn through there life will be simpler and easier how do they manage burns in an area like that where you know there's public do you have to shut it down is it like a like a 24 48 hour restriction Uh, it just depends every every place that runs public stuff is just different you know some of them do they'll shut those areas down and do that Um, a lot of times they'll try to uh, they know that you know they post that area where they're going to do that, and then before they burn that morning, they run around make sure nobody's yeah. in there and doing that. Uh, you know, probably one of the biggest examples is the Oklahoma Department of Wildlife Conservation. Mm-hmm. You know, they burn well over a hundred thousand acres every year on their on their uh, wildlife yeah. management areas, and so they're doing that. But a lot of that they kind of limit their burning, mm-hmm. and that also limits them too. Is they limit it usually they start burning. Uh, January 15th when bow season is over up until turkey season starts so they only got about a month and a half period and so they're also one of those folks groups that have embraced growing season burns Mm -hmm. because a lot of times you know there's not really much seasons there's not a lot of use going on on the WMAs during the middle of the summer so that's another thing where you've got a lot of public out there you look at um, you know use Mm -hmm. seasons of use time of use yeah you, you know you wouldn't go burn on a Saturday you yeah. know, on Fourth of July, Fourth of July yeah. weekend, you know, that's not the time to go burn. Yeah. I work a lot with the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers, Tulsa District yeah. stuff, and they're, you know, so they try to get most of their burning done before wreck season starts, which typically is, you know, historically is uh, Memorial okay. Weekend. Uh, so they're trying to get a lot of that done. They have kind of tried to do a little bit of growing season burns as late mm-hmm. summer shows up and they get less wreck use or they got areas yeah. that are doing that. So. You know, I thought about liability in the past, like that's neighbors, but you get to public use and that li- liability factor just takes a whole new level. Of yeah, there's a lot some, of different things in there. Somebody just wandering yeah. out there with their horse or their yeah. puppy dog. But, you know, you've even had some private, you know, yeah. you know, private landowners, you know, again, as some of the people lease their property out, so mm-hmm. you've got leasees. So now you got to think about is, is make sure the leasee's yeah. not out there roaming around. Yeah. Also, a lot of leasees have deer blinds, mm-hmm. feeders. You know, you got to make sure. Hey, yeah. we don't want to burn those yeah. up. So you need to you got to communicate yeah. with those folks and and do some things like that. So hmm. yeah, 
One thing um, a, a lot of folks don't think about is 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 how fast a, a cedar tree does go up. Whenever if, if it's not in a managed you know situation, say you walk up with that that torch right over there, you ignite that cedar tree. It, it's right back over there if you want okay. to try one. Yeah, oh, okay. there, yeah, yeah. It it depends. So <laughs> now now John's a good agronomist. That's right. <laughs> so if it's like now, yeah, we're going to start seeing the cedars go up. Because I'll tell a lot of people, I use cedars as a fire break. Oh really? Yeah, because it's all about leaf moisture. Ah. Moisture content. Again, it's an active growing plant, uh, and it's all about leaf moisture. So the more leaf moisture it has, the less flammable it is. Even right. though it does have flammable oils. And, you know, in in its makeup, so it, it is chemical makeup is flammable, but it's still got water in it. Mm -hmm. And the more water it has in it, the less flammable it is, the less water content. That's when you start to see that stuff just really crank and go up. Well, and, and I've, I've talked with you about uh, the, the, the brush piles I created. I've, mm -hmm. I've pushed over about 25, 26 acres of cedars with the bulldozer made three, four, five, six, seven, eight large brush piles. Yep. And, and my question for you then was, is it better to have 11 little ones or less larger ones? And you said the larger ones. So yeah. I made those piles. I burned them. I, I, I'm curious if, had, had I have done that in the summer, much to what you just said, if, if they would have, if the brush piles would have gone up as fast because of the moisture content. Probably not, because again, now you're dealing. You pushed them over, so now you're dealing yeah. with a dead plant. Right, right. And right. so the cedars dry down pretty rapidly. Yeah. Uh, I know talking with people that deal with looking at the lumber side of it, yeah. they said you know within 30 days, man, you can you can get the moisture out of a board cedar. You know, it's pretty quick. So, right. and that's what you see doing that. You know, and again, that's. You know, that's the best time of, you know, May, late April, May, and June is the best time to burn brush piles. I think that's what I, yep. you know, I told you and you did that, you yeah. know, and it makes it safer to do that uh, because everything's green and actively growing and also, you know, a little more moisture out there in the in the world usually at that time of year. And uh, so it makes it a little bit safer. And so, you know, just letting that stuff dry down a couple of weeks after you cut it or push it over, yeah. Yeah, it changes its whole makeup and well, it's and, a lot more flammable. And with that, you, you did say wait until uh, June, July to, to, to go ahead and do those, those brush pile burns. And I did. And like you said, I, I, I didn't have to worry about the fire getting away as fast if it did, if it did take off. But. I was one of the only folks burning. Everybody else was burning in April, and yep. it, and you'd see all these big, you know, clouds of smoke. But I I didn't have to worry about if it did get away. The fire department's yep. going to go somewhere else. No, they're going to come help me. Yeah, and and we had plenty of water. I a buddy of mine would actually burn the same day, and his his got away. So we took our little makeshift fire rig and went over and put out his stuff. Mm -hmm. But uh, but but we we went through all the you know, thinking through everything that we could have, if if anything happened, we were prepared for it, and we we burned two the first night, and then the remaining six the the next day, and yeah. it worked out. Now I'm still pushing them into the holes and mm -hmm. filling them over, but that's just part of the process. It, right. it worked out. Yep, very good. 
Well, this is probably a good uh, point to uh, go ahead and take a quick break. And whenever we come up or when we get back, uh, we're going to talk to John about his uh, his, his major award uh, that's coming up next on the Red Dirt Agronomy Podcast. While the doctors take a quick break, I want to remind you that you can head over to reddirtagronomy.com to find many of the resources that John mentioned in the first half of the episode, along with a place where you can send questions to the group. If you're more of an emailer, just go ahead and drop a note to podcast at reddirtagronomy.com or message us a tweet, if that's the correct vernacular. Our handle is reddirtag on Twitter. Now let's jump back into the podcast with some pretty cool news about how Mr. Weir goes to Washington. Kinda. Well, regardless, you're listening to the Red Dirt Agronomy Podcast. Now, I guess I was recently selected for the Wildfire Mitigation and Prevention Commission, which is was set forth to make recommendations for Congress on that uh there's 18 there's 11 members from federal agencies and then 18 members from non-federal groups uh that were elected out of selected out of 500 people and so i'm representing prescribed fire on the commission and so we're we've got a first phone call this week and then we're going to meet first meeting in person here in a couple weeks in salt lake city to start with that and so the commission is tasked with uh, looking at wildfire prevention, protection, uh, and mitigation on wildfire, what we can do, and plus there's supposed to be a lot of money to go along with that to help try to get some things going because, again, all the wildfires, especially out west, what's going on so so are the members on this on on this commission are they primarily from a certain part of the country uh Unfortunately, yeah, a lot of them are from the West. Uh, there's only about three of us that are from essentially the 100th Meridian East, you know, mm. on that. There's an uh, insurance guy from Texas, uh, somebody from Massachusetts, and myself pretty much. But the rest of everybody is pretty much heavily, heavily affected West, uh, you know. And that's, yeah, again, there's been, a, you know, the West gets a lot of the, publicity and stuff from the wildfires in the last few years but again we still have wildfires everywhere else you know a couple years ago the ones in oklahoma were the biggest wildfires in the country uh, and stuff so uh, you're you're the only one with the prescribed fire background or you're you're Uh, just from that group i'm representing prescribed fire Uh, um Merrick Smith from the nature conservancy he's the fire director for all of the nature conservancy he's but he is representing NGOs. Okay. But he he has a fire prescribed fire background on that. So there's also 18 alternate people for each. So one for each category. So there's another alternate. They're a non-voting member on the commission. So. Okay. So what's the makeup? So you've said there's insurance. There's uh, state foresters, <coughs> wildfire suppression folks. Uh, like I said, insurance. Uh, in NGO representation, uh, some tribal representation, a um, bunch of different kind of all the makeups. Uh, it's put together by USDA, 
Department of Interior and FEMA are the three agencies in charge over overseeing it. Hmm. So, so I've always heard whenever you ride on Air Force One. Now, 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 tell me if this is true, but but you get to keep the peanuts, and they give you a, a little uh, uh, wings badge. I'll, I'll find out. Okay, for please you. do because I, I think you. that's going to be awesome. If if you if you get an extra bag of presidential peanuts, I, I would like some. You get the same thing as if you're flying on Delta Airlines. Is that right? Well, yeah. I mean, it's <laughs> it's. Like it. It, I, I think it is. <clears throat> I thought it was more like Allegiant. <laughs> <laughs> So how 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 long is your appointment with this? Uh, they're actually wanting us to within a year to have a report ready for Congress. So on that, so it's going to be they want a quick turnaround. They don't want it to dwell on it very long. So it's it, it's kind of come to the forefront. I mean, just with, with not, if it happens in California, it gets headlines. But if it happens in Oklahoma or Colorado or or uh, New Mexico. We just deal with it, and, yeah. and we find out the we right don't, ways. We don't, yeah, we don't. It don't make as much, you know, make as much news as it does elsewhere. Europe, Europe's being hammered by yeah. wildfires. I've been noticing that. Yeah, and so. you know, you know, the, the thing's always different. You know, we're in this. You know, when we're dry here with the uh, mm-hmm. with La Nina. It's one of the Ninas. It, it's a, yeah. And it's whenever it's the opposite, when we're wet, Nina. you go to the southeast, you go to Florida, Georgia, mm-hmm. and Alabama, they become dry, and then you start seeing wildfires like crazy in that part of the world, too. And, you know, and again, those areas grow way more fuel than we mm-hmm. ever thought about yeah. down in those areas. Because so. they'll have prescribed fires down in Florida. Oh, yeah, they're all big over, time. Right? Yeah, yeah, they're big time. Burn. Georgia and Florida. Georgia, Florida, Kansas, and Oklahoma are the top four states for prescribed fire. You know, really? all four of those states burn well over a million acres a year. Wow! Uh, with prescribed uh, fire, and the the states out west don't. No, they don't burn very any. little, very little. And even so, the interesting fact is, and again, you know, I've looked this up and done this. So if you look at, oh, I'm trying to remember what year, but the average. Of the five main federal agencies that use fire, which is Forest Service, uh, BIA, uh, BLM, Park Service, and Fish and Wildlife Refuges, Mm -hmm. those five are the main ones. They typically burn about 1.8 million acres, 1.6 to 1.8 million acres a year in all 50 states with all five agencies mm-hmm. and Kansas and Oklahoma, we burn anywhere from three to 4 million acres a year on private land in two States. Yeah. So you're saying that we in Oklahoma and Kansas with they, those two States burn more than even Texas does. Oh yeah. By far. Really? Texas burns. I don't think Texas even gets a million acres. They may get wow. half, half given the magnitude of Texas. That's yeah. crazy. The, it is. Yeah. <clears throat> biggest major, biggest thing in Texas is insurance. Man, they're all they're rabid dogs. They're wanting. They want insurance, and they're they're such concern about liability. Really? Uh, yeah. It, even among so, those private landowners. And well, stuff. they don't want to burn down the gates that everybody has coming into their ranch. <laughs> well, yeah, your <laughs> five thousand acre gate on a fifty acre place. Yeah, <laughs> it's a great. Uh, I don't want to get involved in that. But I just couldn't. I couldn't stop and say that. I drive through Texas. So, I never seen such beautiful gates. I've ever seen. They are beautiful. Yeah. Texas. So, how much does state law 
impact the ability to burn? Cause you, a I, lot. Th- a a lot. lot. Okay. It, bur- it affects it a lot. And so um, it's an insurance liability thing for the most part? You know, so there's there's three types of laws that deal with fire throughout the U.S. You can kind of categorize them by three. Uh, the first one is is a strict liability law, which any anytime you have strict liability, that states that whatever action you're doing, so prescribed fire, mm-hmm. so if my action, so if I, my fire gets off, burns your property, I'm liable no matter what I did, any kind of precautions, anything I did, I'm still liable for damages. There's only about like four states that have that. It's it's not a real common law. Mm-hmm. Uh, limited liability is what most states have there's about 30 something that have this kind of law um, and that's that shows that there there's a little bit of limitation on the liability so if you follow certain guidelines or you do certain things your liability is limited and so they have to prove that you were negligent mm-hmm. within that and then the the more the trend where a lot of them are going there's uh, florida was the first state that had this this was enacted in 1990 the prescribed fire act and what it what it stated was that as long as if a burner is certified so they have a certification you have to go to a week-long course and you become a certified burner and then you have to submit a fire plan to the division of forestry you get approval permit to burn and you, you follow that and your fire gets out, you are not liable for any damages either from the fire or smoke mm. unless they can prove gross negligence. And so gross negligence is a legal term that really doesn't have a definition other than it's the, the care that even a careless person would take. Wow. <laughs> so essentially what gross negligence means is you intentionally set that yeah. fire to burn. they got to prove that you intentionally okay. set the fire to burn my neighbor out, which that's very difficult to do. Mm-hmm. And so Florida was the first one to ha- enact that. Georgia has it, Alabama, North Carolina, South Carolina, Mississippi, Pennsylvania just passed it a couple of years ago. And all of them have a little bit of variation. I can't remember. The Carolinas, one of the states has – you're not liable for damages if the fire gets on a neighbor's property, but you're liable for smoke damages. The other one, you're not liable for mm. damages from smoke, but you're liable for damages from fire. the fire burning something up. So everything's different. But what's really interesting is you, even though the Florida law is probably the best law there is, you go down there and talk to their landowners, the number one reason they won't burn is liability. Hmm. It's it, like you live in, and I talked yeah. to him. I said, "You live in a state with the best law." And it's yeah. like, at first they were like, "Well, it hadn't been proven in court." Well, since then there's been two court cases, and it's been upheld really mm-hmm. well. I mean, it's upheld to the T on both of those court cases, uh, and so it's it's been a good one. But it is, but laws and that li- that fear of liability is very like I said. And you go to Texas, and it's really interesting in Texas. You start talking, they want insurance, and it's hard to get standalone liability insurance. Mm. Now, now most farm and ranch liability policies that most landowners have will cover damages mm-hmm. from fire, and so that's what, you know, we talk to people on doing that. So like Farm Bureau, American Farmer yeah. and Ranchers, uh, in Nebraska, I know uh, Farmers Insurance, or State Farm is huge up there, and they're, I've actually heard, listened to their insurance people talk, and they're like, oh, yeah, we're, we got you covered, and 
don't worry about it kind of deal. And so that's been a really good deal. But on that, but the a lot of the folks want an, a standalone policy. And, you know, what's interesting, and so I've looked at that, and to me a lot of that's just an excuse. It's just an excuse to burn because about five years ago now we worked with a company and we developed a standalone prescribed fire insurance, and it was very affordable mm-hmm. and all that. Uh, got it out there, and then after a year they dropped the, the coverage. And the reason it's they dropped the coverage was they couldn't sell enough policies. It wasn't because they paid out or, you know, they had claims and all this stuff. None of that. So so is Texas a limited liability? Or uh, no. Texas has an interest. Texas tried to pass the law that Florida did, but it didn't end up that mm-hmm. way. Uh, but they do have a they do have a certified burner program, but it doesn't give the landowner any limited liability for burning their property, oh, okay. which is not shouldn't be that way you should be able if you're going to have to be certified or go through something you should be able to receive some kind of benefit for that certification so like oklahoma and kansas there is no certification there really Mm -hmm. is not any much any kind of permitting and in oklahoma if you live in eastern oklahoma east of essentially 75 highway you know division of forestry is in charge of all fire stuff and so you have to contact the division of forestry in eastern oklahoma in those parts of those 15 counties in eastern oklahoma Hmm. the rest of the state you know we don't have any kind of permitting or permission we just main thing it says is you know let your neighbors know you're burning Mm -hmm. contact the local fire department that's all just common courtesy and common sense that you should do it and you know and then you know maintain your fire and and, you know so that makes that we do is is, as long as you do all those steps and keep your fire in Mm -hmm. we do have a little bit of limitation so we're actually only liable for actual damages what the law states as long as you're following those those guidelines what what value then and and i know the answer so i'm teeing this up for you the value of the burn associations what what value does establishing and having an established burn association bring to a community so what it brings to the community and the landowners mm-hmm. in general, so it brings uh, equipment, it brings labor and manpower, you know, because, again, as, as we all mm-hmm. know, nobody's coming back home, and so there's limited uh, help back on the farm. You know, the average age is going up every year, so that everybody's older. So it gives that that and then probably the biggest thing is it manages that risk or that liability Mm -hmm. is a big part of it because so you've got neighbors helping neighbors and so where you can where you can get neighbors to start finally talking to each other about fire so you know again with oklahoma how we're set up with almost roads Mm -hmm. every section a lot of times but you may have four owners on Mm -hmm. four quarters of that section you get with all four owners and say, hey, we want to burn. They say, yeah, so now we can just go ring out that whole section. We don't have to worry about the fire getting on Jason's place mm-hmm. or, you know, or Josh's place. We're Josh and Jason are out there helping us, so we'll just burn the whole section yeah. and do that. And so that reduces that limitate liability tremendously, so it's a big deal. And then as you go on even further into the community, then it goes back to that wildfire mm-hmm. protection for the entire community. Uh, again, you know, we're reducing cedar, you know, and you can even take it to the point of, you know, the more cedar we reduce, allergies, asthma kind of mm-hmm. issues, water quality, <laughs> water quantity stuff, you know, there's a whole bunch of things that we can take into the uh, uh, community level and even statewide level, you know, as, as, it, as, as it continues to grow. 
and get bigger. So is there is there any sort of regulation? On, I assume there's not, but, uh, you know, on liability for building great fuel loads and not managing them and a wildfire hitting and, and you right. know, you, you essentially – because you have a, a tremendous amount of fuel load have, have just exacerbated a, a wildfire. We don't have that in Oklahoma. I do know Florida does that. Okay. Florida has that law because they have they had to enact they have so many absentee landowners, mm. you know, that have bought retirement places and things like that and so they allow them to grow up, they don't manage them. And so what they do is they have crews that'll come in and if they uh people don't manage it and it becomes a it's deemed a fire hazard a wildfire hazard they'll go in and they'll log it burn it do whatever they need to do and then they take the money that it costs to uh do all that management out of what they sell if they don't recover enough then they add it to the tax roll Mm. on that so when, and I assume talking about regulation, just uh, a lot of these that you're talking about kind of rolls over into cropland burning, too, or has it got a separate kind of jurisdiction of regulation? No, it, it typically, most everybody, what you'll typically see in a lot of states is you'll see laws and rules for open burning, and then agricultural burning is separated. And agricultural burning typically is all cropland, rangeland, forest land any agricultural production land Hmm. on how to burn and they'll have a little bit of different on that so like here in oklahoma the only thing that really states anything different is the 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 clean air act so we do have some we have some laws regulating smoke Mm -hmm. and deq's in charge of that here in oklahoma and it states in there that actually it states in the in the open burning part of it, it says burning should not commence until three hours after sunrise and no fuel should be added to the fire three hours before sunset. Because, again, that time frame is whenever you have the most lift and the most uh, unstable atmosphere so your smoke will go up early in the morning, late in the evening, you know, smoke will lay down. But also if you read at the end of that, it's, exempt 4a is exempt from that and if you read what 4a is and the law 4a is is anybody burning croplands rangelands forest lands are exempt so we can burn at night we can burn at any time as long as you know we just don't want to make a smoke hazard no matter what on that so that's what you see with different states is is open burning which is people burning brush piles junk you know, debris-type burning stuff, and then ag burning is, is labeled separately. Because I, re- I remember back in Louisiana, because working in the cane fields, they'd burn the cane, but right. it had regulations for retirement homes, elementary schools, that hospitals. Was a, that was a smoke, because, yeah, because yeah. in Louisiana, the cane burning got to be, you know, was so big, and the smoke issue got to be so so much that they were they were creating a huge smoke issue. So, and, so would that then transfer to rangeland burning, I would assume? It it kind of, it possibly would, but a lot of times some of those crops are burned at a certain time of year mm-hmm. every year, and yeah. so that would only be during that time period. Okay. So currently up in, in Kansas, so the Flint Hills, you know, again, the Flint Hills mm-hmm. traditionally burn big chunk. You know, that's where the big chunk of Kansas burns every year is the Flint Hills, and it's year in, year out in the same areas. Uh, and the problem gets to be is, they're keyed in on burning 
within a short time frame, two or three mm-hmm. week period, you know, there'll be a time, there'll be times that they'll burn a million acres in a week up there. And so yeah. they've set off sensors all the way to New York City mm. on smoke because they're creating such a smoke plume <coughs> with all that fire. And so that's getting to be an issue. And so now in Kansas, if you're anywhere in that Flint Hills region, there is they do not allow any other kind of burning to go on at all except agricultural burning in the Flint Hills. Mm. And it's and it's limited to April uh, March and April, March and April, I believe it is that in those counties you can't burn trash or any other any other stuff, brush piles or anything like that to yeah. add to what, the smoke load. Because we ended up having to go and and burn the cane residue over Christmas, basically when all the schools were out and stuff, because so many of the farms or the crop fields were within blocks of Cl- elementary pro- schools pro- or or, yeah. or uh, a retirement home somewhere. Yeah, and that's what you gotta. You know that's that's the deal. Smoke. You know everybody everybody worries about liability from the fire getting away. Uh-huh. But if you look at the a lot of the insurance cases and all the complaints, it's all about smoke. Yeah, that's that's the biggest thing. And a lot smoke of times, and ash. Yeah, yeah. I we don't think about you know a lot of times people don't think about that and they're worried more about the the fire getting on the neighbor that's not the problem you've got to think about that smoke and mm-hmm. and smoke's pretty simple to manage there's two things you can do number one pick a pick a wind direction to get it away from town mm-hmm. highway school whatever mm-hmm. your problem is so you need to just pick that wind direction to make sure that smoke's going to go the opposite way and then pick a day with good atmospheric conditions where that smoke will lift, get up and get out of there. It's not going to hang low on the ground. You know, it's not a good dispersion day on that. And that's that that solves all kinds of problems. That's 90%, 95% of all the smoke problems are cured with those two things right there. Hmm. So is that why would you burn at night or do you stay away from night because of that, that ceiling? It depends that on where in? you're – a lot of times it just depends, you know, you go to eastern Oklahoma, there's there's nights that we can do it, but a lot of times the winds lay down, mm-hmm. higher humidity set in, and that smoke just hangs real close. Yeah. You go to western Oklahoma, and you got – a lot of times it's, it's the safest time because you finally got the humidity back up. Humidity. The wind lays down enough yeah. at night. <laughs> it's yeah. still blowing, so the winds – The exact same reasons it's too much in the east. It's just a magnitude of order. Right. A lot of times you, you don't see much night burning mm-hmm. – back east even all the way to florida and stuff they don't burn much at night just because of the conditions whereas you go from here west you start to see more of it we uh when i worked in texas we burned a lot at night part of biggest reasons were Mm -hmm. getting the humidity up to Mm -hmm. where it was safer to to conduct at night so we man we let a lot of stuff off Mm -hmm. at midnight and worked all from midnight till daylight burning and Mm -hmm. then you know because it was just safer and easier to do times a day to burn for just the atmosphere being more stable correct correct yeah midday is because yeah. that's usually whenever it's it's most unstable a little more predictable in, right in certain times of day. yeah but again you know we have days uh you know where there's conditions you know there, it's called category days you can look at the national weather service they do category category days the mixing height so it's where that inversion layer is it's it's measured in meters height and then the winds aloft meters per second you multiply those two together and it gives you a number and it's divided up into five category days with one being 
you know, that's that's a, like a foggy day or a day where it's everything's just going to hang on the ground mm-hmm. to a five, which is like days where we get big thunderstorms developed. You know, we there's mm-hmm. no cap up there. You know, those thunderstorms punch up and just mm-hmm. roll up, and that that's what your smoke will do on that. But so like category three through five days, and also um, the OK fire on the mezzanet has a, you know has a smoke dispersion model that goes it goes it's used it's a different model but it's it's also it's a really good and it'll also forecast smoke dispersion and it's really fun to play with because you can look at it and see how the dispersion at night man it just drops off mm-hmm. you especially southeast oklahoma man it just like goes back to a one and then as, as the sun comes up it'll fork you know it's gonna cool. disperse to a whole it, lot better it's a great tool because when we we did all of our when we burned on osu ground they always make us do a burn management plan and mm-hmm. it's it's easy you just Yep. Set your limits in Mesonet. It just basically prints you out a sheet and says, you know, you're, you're, if you're if you're a three, that's when you're going to go. Or say, you know, yeah, it's going to be the best. Yeah. Well, and I even use that whenever I did my my, my brush piles. I for about two weeks leading up to it. I mean, every day I was looking at the forty eight yeah. hour forecast and, and trying to find the right day to do it. And and, and, and that's what you got to do. Even you know, a lot of times people don't even think about brush piles. Brush right. piles is you need to think. You need to call mm-hmm. the fire department. Right. Let them know you're burning. Let your neighbors know you're burning. Sheriff's you need to be looking yep. at the weather. Uh, you know, because a lot of times what really happens, especially with brush piles, is people want to burn them and then they don't look at the weather and then two days after the pile burnt we got a front coming through with 40 mile an hour winds right. predicted and so what are all those embers <laughs> going to be doing yeah. you know out there they're going to be blowing around and, and everything so you got to be out there to think about stuff like that and so yeah every time we deal with fire we need to be thinking those can, even if we're burning crop residue mm-hmm. you know you just need to, you need to think about managing your smoke uh on that you know the sad thing is i worked on a court case in indiana a few years back and it was crop residue burning and the guy didn't even think and lit crop residue off and it blew across the highway and caused a fatality Mm. you know and that was crop residue just crop residue from soybeans and and stuff that they were burning and you know you've got to you got to think a little bit i remember when i was an undergrad working with you on a project and burning wheat stubble and yeah that stuff can be volatile i mean that 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 stuff can get going it can burn well (laughs) so actually your 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 uh academic path before you went into plant soil sciences was was uh NREM, wasn't it? Well, John Weir's yelled at me in the field on a fire more than one occasion. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, I remember spending dang near a whole night with him. We a fire got away and burned over a county road, and you know we were we were sitting there, and it it got up into a a downed pile of trees, and you know we were all there. So we had about four or five grad students, and and uh, you know Hickman had gone home already, of course. But you know, uh, but it was it was John about four has or five ever, grad students. Has she ever been on a fire? Well, she did, but then when it got away, <laughs> she she left. <laughs> and about two or three of us undergraduates, and I remember one of the graduate students said, "John, this is this is basically a two man job. Can we go home?" And he goes, "When the last ember goes out, you can go to bed." Yep. <laughs> and we were out there till about four. Four o'clock in the morning, <laughs> waiting for every ember to get Some, Sometimes you got to do that. So well, and it, it, in my fire, I went back. Gosh, oh, two weeks later, and I still had smoldering, smoldering you know, sound. logs yep. and such. Yep. So I mean, it, it really does stick around. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I uh, yeah, I remember buddies of mine. They were they went on a visit a rancher down in North Texas, and they had burned bush piles, and it was a 
I think they knew it was 128 days later, and there was still smoke coming out. Wow. Uh, you know, that's, that's, that's kind of a – that's a long stretch, but still, week, two weeks, you know, even a month is nothing. That's typical. Yeah, you've got to be thinking about that. And that's a big problem where a lot of times people go, "Oh, we're going to burn brush piles when it snows on the ground in the winter." <laughs> you know, again, how long does snow last in Oklahoma? You yeah. know, twenty-four hours if we're lucky, or unlike whichever one you want to call it. <laughs> And then it melts away, and then you're dealing with all the grass is one-hour fuels. It takes one hour for that stuff to dry out after the snow melts. And so you went and burned your brush piles when there's snow on the ground. Yeah, it was safe at that time to do that, but now it's not, you know. And if you look at a lot of the fire calls from all the local fire departments, there's a lot of fire calls take place on Monday morning. Yeah. <laughs> or Monday afternoon, <laughs> Monday afternoon when people burn brush piles over the weekend because they're bored in the winter and then they go to work and the wind picks up on Monday and off to the races it goes. Thank you for listening in on this conversation of the Red Dirt Agronomy Podcast. And if you would like to join the next conversation, send us an email podcast at reddirtagronomy.com or send us a tweet. Our handle is Red Dirt Ag. And of course, we'd like to say thank you to John Weir for joining us on this podcast today. To find out more about him or any of our guests, along with any of the resources that they have talked about on this or any previous podcast, visit reddirtagronomy.com. There you'll find show notes and you can listen to past episodes too. For Dr. Josh Lofton, for Dr. Jason Warren and Dr. Brian Arnell, I am Dave Deacon and we all want to thank you for listening. The proceeding is a copyrighted recording of Agnow Media, LLC, 2022. And yes, all rights are reserved.